Dr. Erica Brazovsky's job online, anyway, on her YouTube channel and website, is to find the fascinating and funny stories behind words and sounds we take for granted and don't think about even when we use them. She's the host of the Other Words series, an educational show about the language we all speak on PBS in America, and she was formerly in in the Department of English at the University of Texas in Austin. Hello, Erica. Thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you for having me. Your research I was reading is into language variation and change in Asian Americans in Texas, specifically focusing on Taiwanese Texans, which has a ring to it. Are there quite a few Taiwanese people in Texas? There are quite a few. It's actually the third largest group of Taiwanese Americans um, after New York and California. Wow. And there's a, a word in Mandarin I heard you talk about, uh, because I'll ask, mm-hmm. I'll ask you about words uh, English needs to add to an already vast vocabulary. Mafan, mafan, an excellent word, meaning what? It can mean so many things depending on who you're talking to or the context. I use it mostly to mean kind of a minor annoyance, like, oh, the situation where I have to do X, Y, and Z, and maybe they made me go here twice. And, you know, when you renew your license or going to places like that, it just, it's so ma fun to have to to deal with all these little um, inconveniences. Yeah, ma fun's great. I love it. How did you get into this field? And of course, then into its entertainment division. I mean, I've always been interested in languages. Um, and I grew up in an area that's fairly multicultural. A lot of my friends are children of immigrants growing up. So I heard a lot of different accents around me and I think, oh, it's kind of interesting. Why do people talk differently based on where they're from or, you know, different kinds of things about them, um, which is basically what sociolinguistics is, the intersect of sociology and linguistics. The PBS series Other Words for people who haven't seen it. um, Can you find the words to describe it briefly? Mm, Okay, so Other Words is a, let's say, edutainment series um, so education and entertainment, a little portmanteau there. Um, and it talks about language and linguistics and all the different kind of weird, fun, interesting, um, quirky things about language, not just English, but other languages as well. Um, but like, why do we do that? Why do things go that way? Um, what words are from here and there? It's It covers a wide swath of all things language um, that I find interesting. It does, it does. And your videos get hundreds of thousands of views, so people clearly like this stuff. And I, I hope so. Well, I know our listeners do. I got a huge response once for words that they love and words and expressions they hate and words they make up. Someone gave me this question. If you could only ever say one word again, if aliens came down and said you can only say thank you, please, yes, no, and maybe I like you, so, just so people could get on. But you were allowed one other word each. We all were, so collectively we could keep the language alive. You know, it's a very feasible scenario. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, what word would that be? Do you have a favorite word of all time? Those are two different questions, I think. Um, my favorite word of all time is probably juxtaposition. Uh, I like I like the X in there. I like the how it sounds and also the meaning of it. Um, but if I could only have one word that I could say in addition to yes, no, thank you, please. Ooh, um, maybe like a, a why. Why? Oh, I yeah. think I'd go with that. Yeah, that's a good answer. Why? You've researched how colors 
got their names from our ancestors. Which colours mm-hmm. which colours came first? Because that's interesting. So across various cultures around the world, the first two colours that come to mind or, you know, were invented or, or were important to them were white and black, which makes sense because the importance between dark and light is is significant in safety and, and you know, living, um, thinking back pre-city civilizations, you need to know dark versus light. After those two, the next one to come up was red, um, because red is important, you know, berries are red and blood is red. So it, it covers a wide variety of things. It's possible they might have been using red for anything that wasn't black or white, but that's the beginning. Red, or sorry, white and black and then red, followed by yellow and green, kind of an either order depending on who it was. Um, and then blue, orange, brown, and so on. Why did blue arrive comparatively late in the order of colors because most of the earth's covered in blue and it's there when we look up right um but when you think about it there are so when you're like oh the sky the blue sky well like we already know that the sky is blue um so you don't need to point out the blue sky versus the orange sky and the water you know it's like oh we already know that the water is uh, is water colored um so it's not so important to think about it to, com- uh, to contrast it to something else. Also, blue is one of the least occurring colors naturally. Like there aren't that many blue flowers around. Um, the birds that are blue are really like really striking. You don't notice them as, you don't see them as often. So it wasn't important um, safety wise to have blue until later on when you were like, oh, I need to know about this beautiful dye color or this um, paint color. That's interesting. And that's why we don't call the sun the big yellow. The big yellow fella. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, white came from what word, please? Meaning what? The meaning uh, of white was shine. And this is from the Proto-Indo-European. I want to say it's like ball or but You can watch the episode to find that for sure. But it is from the meaning to shine. Good. And black has a surprising origin. Yes, that comes from the meaning for to burn. So it's like the color you get, the ash color. That's the black color. Green meant to grow. And you make a splendid point about the color green versus the color red, don't you? I hope you think. Yeah, I'm glad you think so. So um, when you think of red and green, uh, there are so many different colors for shades of red, right? But green, you're like, well, I mean, green is green. And then I guess you have, you know, blue, green and I'm blanking on green words because there aren't that many of them. Whereas red, there is so much more variation between them. You have your pinks, you have your brick, you have your um, siennas, I don't know, various colors. But there are so many more gradations and variations in the words for red, even though we can see more shades of green than any other color. Warm associations have more words for them than cold associations, don't they? That's the thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Orange, the orange bequeathed us the color orange quite recently, really. Yes. So that comes from um, 15th, 16th-ish century. Uh, So people are always wondering, you know, much like the chicken and the egg, which came first? Well, as you've said already, it is orange the fruit before orange the color. So there were uh, Portuguese merchants in, you know, the 16th, 15th century um, who brought over this, you know, exotic fruit to Europe. Um, It was called naranja. that's from the Sanskrit, and um, slowly it's made its way into what we know today as orange. But things weren't called orange in the beginning. They were called orange-colored or the color of an orange. Like that thing over there is the color of an orange, but that takes too long to say. <laughs> so eventually we got, oh, that thing is orange. 
Uh, Dr. Erica Brozovsky is with us, the sociolinguist from Texas. Uh, there's the saying, gossip is the devil's radio, meaning nothing good can come from gossiping. But gossip's been pretty instrumental in the development of English, hasn't it? It's believed that the origin of gossip could stem all the way back to primates. Can you explain what that's about? Yes, absolutely. So when you think of what primates do all day, I mean, they're grooming each other, among other things. So they're sitting there, they're picking off little nits or whatever, you know, to take care of each other. Um, And you can only take care of so many people. You can't spend your whole day grooming because that's just, I mean, you, you... there's more to life than that, I guess. So if somebody's willing to pick the little bugs off your back, literally I scratch your back, you scratch mine, that kind of um, relationship, then you're like, oh, they're trustworthy. I'll take care of them. If some danger comes, I will warn them. But when you have a large group of primates or, or humans, um, you can't really depend just on this back scratching kind of mentality. You need to think about how you can determine who is trustworthy. Um, So that's where gossip comes in. So basically, the purpose of gossip here is to maintain social order in large groups to know who's reliable, who's dependable, who you can trust. Um, And there's a lot of scholars who say that we developed bigger brains to keep track of more social relationships. So um, humans can have meaningful, simultaneous relationships with about 150 people, which sounds like a lot. And I'm like, do I have 150 people that I meaningfully keep in touch with on the the regular? And I, I don't think I do. But that's like, that's, Dunbar's number, 150 people for humans. Like you need to know all of these things so you can take care of each other, essentially. Yeah. Well, we've talked to Robin Dunbar before, the British uh, oh. ev- ev- evolutionary psychologist and, the, as you say, the, the formulator of Dunbar's number. So the reason that human brains grew and became more complex, he thinks, wasn't so we could design better tools or become better hunters, but we could keep better track of everyone around us, basically. Exactly. Okay. We got nitpicking from the phrase from primates. We must have done. I'm not sure exactly, but I I agree with you. It sounds probably. How else? (laughs) Uh, How else? Foreign words we, apart from Marfan, foreign words we need in English that aren't in English already, because English is a great pilferer of words, as I've heard you talk about as well. What are the... Understand. What are the... (laughs) What are the extra words we need, please, Erica? Some of them. Oh, my goodness. There are so many of them. The word for moving hot food around in your mouth. Yes. Um, because I often will eat and I'm like, I need this bite now. But you can't wait. You can't. You're so impatient. So this word is um, plenty. It's from the bully language. And it's the action of moving hot food around your mouth with your tongue. So like that sound that you make when you just can't, you can't wait and you have to eat it now. And that's one of my favorite words. I liked, uh, is it akihi in Hawaiian? I'm, I'm guilty of that. I'm sure a lot of people are. Yes. Um, that one is it's like a kick in the pants to yourself. You think, oh, that's the perfect thing. I should have said that at the right exact moment. And it's already too late and awkward. And you're like, darn it. Like that would have been mm, just like chef's kiss. <laughs> and a truly great word I heard you use, mami halapanatapai, the the meaningful glance. It doesn't, it's not just, it's, I mean, we don't really have a word for it, but it's a really important word. 
Oh, absolutely. Because it's like both parties are kind of like, we think that's what you mean, but we don't want to embarrass ourselves by going first. And it's one of those social dynamic ones where you're like, I want to make a move, but only if you want me to make a move and I don't want to make it if you don't want me to make it and it's going to be yeah. awkward. Yeah. One of those um, uniquely human social norms. It's a great word. I've forgotten where it's from, but I remembered when you used it. Uh, top Toponyms, the most extreme place names. What is the oldest known place name in the world, please, Erica? So it is uh, the domain of the king... King Scorpion, Horus, Horus King Scorpion. Um, and this was found in the Wadi Amalik um, in Egypt. And it's just four um, symbols carved on a stone. And it was like, this is my space. This is my land. Um, and of course, place names have gone, been named for a lot longer than that. So we don't know the first ever place name, but that is the first ever recorded place name. You know, the domain of the Scorpion King or King Scorpion it's a far cooler name than Auckland, where I am, <laughs> named after a viceroy of India who never came to Auckland, or Austin, where you are, named after a man who was basically, he's just a people mover. He just moved people into Texas, and he was a strong supporter of slavery, which to Mexico's, yeah. I was reading that to Mexico's credit at the time, it strongly opposed. I mean, that's a far, you'd love to say you lived in the domain of the Scorpion King, wouldn't you? It's fantastic. Oh, absolutely. It sounds a lot cooler, for sure. You had a lake near you growing up called Lake Webster, but with yes. a much better name that only you can pronounce. You're remarkable on these <laughs> on these podcasts with your pronunciation of these long names. Thank you, thank you. Well, that one, um, you know, growing up in elementary school, it was kind of a point of pride to be able to say it. Lake Chargagagog, Manchagagog, Chabunagungamog. If you couldn't <laughs> say it right, we're like, oh, so embarrassing. You must be able to say it. <laughs> can you say it again? Lake Chargagagog, Manchagagog, Chabunagungamog. Right, and that's Native American, of course. It is. Mm -hmm. Bangkok in Thailand isn't the real name for the city. That was interesting to me. How come? Well, you need an American, an anglicized name for the people who can't pronounce it in the source language. Um, so that's where Bangkok came from, I guess. Um, but the original, the, the official name is far longer. Um, I can pronounce it. Poorly because I do not speak Thai, but I, I need a I need to have that one written out. Whereas the Maori word, I, I have that memorized. Like it was running through my head all the time for like months before I shot that episode. Oh, I'll, oh, I'll get to that. Yes, and just just while we're on Bangkok, I understand <laughs> that because the real name means city of angels, great city of immortals, magnificent city of the nine gems, and so it goes on. <laughs> yes, and, and yes, thank you. We have the longest one word place name on earth. Where Tamatea, the man with big knees, I never knew big knees were a thing. Played the nose flute, <laughs> nose flute to his lady love. Can you really say this? Yes, and I have it memorized. This is you know just running through my head on the regular. Um, so my apologies to the Maori if I'm not saying it perfectly, but it's Tau Matafaka Tangi Tamatea Turipu Kaka Piki Tinatahu. Oh, if I had an applause effect, I would just, you know, <laughs> turn it up full bore. That's fantastic. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Well Sincerely, done. it ran through my head. Like, I could not make it stop because I was trying to get it right for so long. <laughs> that is marvellous. Um, the Māori name for Auckland is Tamaki Makaurau, which means desired by many. 
although I think it was an, also an old Polynesian word for battle. But you could throw in, you know, many. This is the thing. We, we could throw in, you know, many volcanoes, lovely islands, because um, good portage routes in the old days. We were on an isthmus, four seasons in one day, terrible traffic. You you get a hefty a hefty sort of sense of identity from long names, even though they may cause difficulty. They're great. Oh, absolutely. There's so much information in a lot of these names. Um, your hill was a great example of it, but it just tells you what happened there, um, the significance of the place to the people at the time that it was named. Um, it, it's History is built into names, absolutely. Yeah. But how many places worldwide, I was surprised by this, have only one letter in their names? Oh, my goodness. Um I don't have an exact number for you, but dozens. And the yeah. thing that I was most shocked about is it's not just the vowels because you have your A-E-I-O-U and they all have various diacritics, whether it's an accent or an umlaut or whatever. But there are like there's a place called W. How are you supposed to search a town called W on Google? There's like millions, billions, perhaps results. So you're easy to spell, but hard to find. Where is W? I believe it's in the United States. I don't know exactly where because it's, again, difficult to find. <laughs> the most common place name in the U.S. is uh, either Fairview or Midway. The most common place name worldwide, please. I want to say it's San Jose. Is Am, am I correct? I yes, feel like you are. The, the... <laughs> you are correct. Very good. Uh, quick questions. Is swearing good for our brains? I think we've heard about the ice bucket experiment wherein you know people swearing like troopers could withstand the pain of the cold longer i've always wondered if that was distraction rather than the power of expletives you know you could maybe recite the words of taylor swift songs uh, to similar effect or not mm, well she does have some songs with expletives so maybe those would be more helpful yes, she does. Uh, i think that i've heard also you know when you when you stub your toe or whatever sometimes it, it there is some psychological reasoning to say a slightly more obscene word than say like darn. Um, and it apparently does help with mitigating the pain, much like the cold, the ice bucket that you mentioned. I do think that there is some pain thing there. Of course it is partially distraction because you're thinking and, and there is some kind of like, Ooh, I said a bad word element to it. But some studies do say that it is, it is good for your brain yes. again in moderation, right? Like they say, like, don't drink too much, alcohol don't swear too much probably because then i mean this is all personal preference i think it means more and you're like ooh, i made a point more when it's not every other word you yeah know what i mean so if you swear all the time it's the law of diminishing returns really exactly exactly you're not going to get that um you know ibuprofen or 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 kind of pain relief if you're swearing all the time whereas if it's occasional or um, just less so then you'll get more of a get law of diminishing returns it's interesting with the brain if you wouldn't mind explaining how some people can lose the ability to swear, you know, without having had a religious epiphany, it's all to do with which side of the brain the swearing and comes from the emotion. Right. So um, there, this kind of goes into if, if there's been some kind of brain damage where if you um, lose access to certain regions of the brain due to um, whether or some kind of, some kind of trauma to the brain, you then lose the ability to, swear for example or maybe you um depending on what kind of damage it is maybe you no longer make sense or maybe you can only say a few words so um 
the you often hear stories of people who only can swear and they forget the rest of their words because swearing is seen to take place in a different region of the brain than a lot of our other common you know things that we talk about mm. so if you've had damage to that area then perhaps you won't swear but maybe if you've had damage to other areas you may only swear as your way of getting around yeah left side right side it's fascinating isn't it so yeah, it is so swearing i think is a bit like a dog's bark. I mean, the fact that it's separate from in the brain from the other la- sort of forms of language that we use, it's a bit like an instinctive kind of animal response. Instinctive and reactional than just conversational. Yeah. Sociolinguist Dr. Erica Brozovsky is with us. Interesting, uh, too, what you tell us on other words about how we trust others more if they swear. Why? So when people are a little too formal, then you don't know what they're thinking. But when you, when you swear, you're a little bit more relaxed. That means you're kind of um, more open to things being you're, – you're more chill, let's say. And your honest, more honest self seems to come out probably. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Like it's the real you, like the at-home you versus the at-work you. While I remember, you're involved in a free online educational um, aid called Crash Course, primarily for students, but actually for anyone who wants to educate themselves in all sorts of areas, Crash Course. And it struck me that if you've never been to uni, for example, you could do this in your spare time and gain all sorts of knowledge. Absolutely. The course that I, you know, recorded and and, um, performed, per se, uh, is meant for people to guide them through the application process and the college process and then to being a functioning person in the world um, with then a degree. Yeah, it's a great resource. And I saw one of the founders explaining why he thought free access to knowledge was a great thing. So well done. Yes. Um, thank you. Thank you. A lung disease called, caused by the inhalation of volcanic ash is the longest word in English. I didn't know that. Um, it's There's so much in what you, <laughs> you communicate online. You have made a language show uncharacteristically entertaining by removing incomprehensibilities and therefore succeeding in your message of internationalization. Did you see what I did there? I I liked that a lot. That was really good. Thank you. That was a great compliment. (laughs) They're the three words that are long, but everybody knows Mm -hmm. them despite their length. Is that right? Uncharacteristically incomprehensibilities and internationalization. Have I got that right? Yeah, so you know what they mean based on the pieces, like the the roots of all of them, and then also the all of the, the the ending. So it's like international, and then eyes, and the a, and the shun. So you know, you're like, okay, I know what that means. Everybody knows what it means. Not everybody, but you know, everybody does. Great to talk with you. Well done on your communications regarding thank you English across a vast, actually, array of topics, too. We only just slightly touched on them. So what will you continue to do as a sociolinguist? What's, are there projects that really interest you in particular? Yeah, so, well, we just got renewed for season four of Other Words, which is very exciting. Well done. Uh, and I am in talks with someone to write a book. I think a book... I always thought when our listeners sent in all the words that they had made up and that their families use and um, they carries on through generations. I've always thought that would make quite a charming little book too, and I'm sure Americans are the same. Oh, absolutely. I would love to hear or to get a copy of your list at some point. I do have a list, actually. Nice to – well, 
I'll communicate separately on that matter. Um, very nice of you to give us your time, and thank you so much for, for um, joining us, Erica. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time.